and, uh, and he's teaching these churches that have had a lot of input. God was moving powerfully in, in them in the churches. They were growing lots of churches in different homes. And, and something particular then started to happen. You had lots of people coming along who didn't know who Jesus was personally, but they had heard the teachings, they had grown in the, in the teachings of God, but also mixed it with different philosophies and ideas that from, the, from the world. And um, so we've been hearing about how John's writing to help people understand the difference between, if you like, a real Christian and a fake Christian, uh, to put it in those kind of broad terms. And John does um, have this very black and white attitude when he's writing. He's, you know, it's, it's, not, he's, it's not very gray area. He's very specifically kind of, um, uh, yeah, very direct in the way that he's speaking. And uh, essentially saying, if you're a true follower of Christ, then you will see the life of Jesus outwork through yours. You will start to look like Jesus. Um, if you're in Christ, then you will walk the same way as Christ. And so uh, the opposite is true. If you say that you're in Christ and your life doesn't reflect Christ, then something is wrong. And John would say, you're not of Christ. So very, very direct. And so we're up to verse uh, 28. And um, he's just been talking about the secret is that Jesus Christ abides in us, lives in our hearts, as it were, lives in our very being. And, um, and so we read this uh, in verse 28. I hope you can read that. Always, it's this um, slide system doesn't give me any control over the size of the text. He says this, I write these things to you. No, he doesn't. Verse 28. Uh, and now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. I don't know about you. I don't know if my children, who are probably listening to me at the moment, can bear witness to this, that at times I believe that they don't do what I, they know is right. Esther probably does, but Benjamin, on the other hand, not really. It's the other way around, isn't it, darling? There are times when they've done something wrong, and then when I come home, they have either have confidence when they stand before me or they shrink back. They uh, retreat in their shame of what they've done. As they're growing up, less so because they're much better at hiding their shame. But when they were younger, they wouldn't be able to hide the fact that they'd done something wrong. Isn't that right, Benjamin? Yeah, see? Look at that. And, and this is what John's saying, saying, you know, there is going to be a day... He's introducing now a new subject. There is going to be a day. It's not just about now, but in the future, there will be a day when Jesus will return, the second coming of Christ. He's coming back, and when he appears, will we have confidence in his presence, or will we feel shame in his presence? And this is, and this is, is, is introducing um, this end-time idea, this, the fact that the church at the time was in a state, as we should be today, of anticipation that Jesus was going to return at any minute. And uh, the Bible talks about we are in the last days, but it's been talking about, or, you know, we've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. And it's, it's not because 
um, at some point we realize, oh, we're not in the last days. The whole idea is, is that at any point Jesus may return. He could return this afternoon. He could return tomorrow. He could t- return in 10 years' time. Nobody knows. Even Jesus said, no one knows, not even the Son, only the Father knows. In the plan of God, there is a time when Jesus will return. And the question is, are we ready to face Jesus? Or do we have confidence in, his, um, in this relationship with God? And so he's saying, <clears throat> this is a secret, abide in him. Talk about it in a minute. Um, so that when he appears, we may have confidence. And that word confidence means boldness. It means boldness to approach. But the actual Greek word that it was written in um, means to speak up, as it were, or to have outspoken confidence. It's a confidence that shows itself in bold candid speech by one being ready and willing to make their convictions known in public. So you may have some people that are able to stand up in front of here and say completely what they believe with with every bit of boldness. That's what it means to have confidence. It's to not be afraid of what other people think. And so in in relationship with uh, Jesus, it's having that confidence that you can speak freely before God and know that there is not anything in you that is going to be a problem to Jesus. And that's confidence. And we, he's saying, John is saying, let's be confident. And by abiding in Christ, which again I'll say a bit later, we can be confident. The shame, there are different ways you can look at this. The shrink back from him in shame that is coming could be directed to two types of people. So let's just say this side of the hall, this is the type, these are the people that know Jesus, given their lives to Jesus, receive Jesus, but maybe they've lost a bit of confidence in who they are in the Lord. And maybe they've just, through some stumbling or through some difficulties, they've lost confidence, but they're in God, they're walking in God, they just had a few struggles along the way. And that shame, in a sense, is a bit like um, where John or Paul rather, he talks, in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 13, he talks about a building metaphor about our lives. That as we live in our lives, we walk in God, as we are obedient to God, we are like building on a foundation. And those things that we build are in the will of God, those are obedient life, we're building in gold and silver, and, and there are some things that we may do in life that aren't really good, aren't really um, beneficial for the king. They're not in obedience to God. Oh, like hay and rubble and things like that. And there will be a day when we meet God where it'll all be passed through the fire, John said, uh, Paul says. And everything that is not of gold and silver will be burnt up. And that which remains, he says something like this, um, each person's work will be passed through the judgment of fire and what work remains, gold, silver, we shall receive Uh, a reward. But if all their work is lost in the fire, straw, wood, that is burned up, they shall suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as though through fire. So when he talks about work, he's not talking about working to achieve salvation. The works, the way of, of our life builds up stuff in God's kingdom, in our lives, and God loves that. And whenever you obey God, whenever you step out and trust God, then gold Found a building is being built on the foundations. So there is that kind of shame, but then there is the shame of those who have heard the message and they haven't bowed the knee to Jesus. They're not following God, they're following themselves, and they don't know Jesus. There are those. And when Jesus returns, and he will return, everyone, it says, everyone will know, will be 
100% convinced that that is Jesus. It won't be like the TV programs, if you watched it recently, like the Messiah, where it's like, is it Jesus? Is it not Jesus? I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix. You know, are they doing like fancy kind of footwork and magic, or is it like real power? Is it, there's none of that. Everyone will know that Jesus has come. And whether you believe um, he will then reign for a thousand years, or whether there'll be judgment, it doesn't matter for the, in this conversation. The main thing is that everyone will know that that is Jesus and he is God. And the Bible tells us that every knee will bow. And so do we want to see Christ and be ashamed? Or do we want to see Christ and have confidence? For me, I I want to be confident. And I want to tell you why um, I want that to be uh, confident. And he's saying this, the way in which we can have confidence is if we abide in Christ. And this is what John was saying uh, to the people not this, uh, what I'm going to read in a minute. But he's saying to them, this word, all that you know about Jesus, all that I taught you right at the very beginning, live in that. This is something that um, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a great man of God many, many years ago in London, he said this, as a stone, you are built on the foundation, abide there. As a branch, you've been grafted into the stem, abide there. As a member, you're in the body, abide there. It is all over with you if you do not. Abide in that holy mould of doctrine in which you were at at the first delivered. Abide in Jesus by letting his words abide in you. All the good news of Jesus, which we're talking about today. Stick with that. All these other things these other people are saying, if it's not in relation to what you said at the very, or what you heard at the very beginning, then discard it. Just live in that. Who Jesus is. Jesus is God. All these things that we've been talking about, isn't he? When people come along and say that Jesus isn't God, he's not fully God, or he, he was an angel, all these kind of things, or he's just a first spirit or whatever, he's God. Anything else, discard it. Live in that truth, he's saying, abide in it. And if, I don't know about you, but if you're abiding in that, I love this, look, are you living today looking forward toward that day, or are you fearful of that day because you're not abiding in him today? Like if I said to you, and many years ago we did a drama and it was called, um, it's not like Are You Ready anyway, and it was a drama and it was really dark and really scary and it was like when the end of the world comes, you know, and you're not ready and then suddenly you're lost and being cast into hell and it was a bit dark. Um, I mean, anyone watching that, whether you're saved or not, felt scared. But even as Christians, if Jesus came back today, do you feel the confidence of that relationship with him? Or is, is there a little bit of fear? Are you ready to meet Jesus? And, uh, and often, and this is what this quote's about. I don't know who wrote it. I've, I've taken it from someone. Um, but there are, it's because people aren't living today in Christ that they're fearful about tomorrow. Are you living today, every moment, knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus? Verse 29, he repeats himself, um, what he said before. And we're going to go into this a bit more detail. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And this is the first time he uses this phrase in this letter, born of him. And, uh, and it's, it's an interesting phrase. Many of us will know of it. Some of us might not know of it. But 
the Christian life is not about doing different works. It's not about achieving a certain moral standard. It's not how good you are. It is, it, it is um, particularly about knowing the person of Jesus and being born of him. And, uh, and we see this in the next verse, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, what is the motivation of your life to live like Christ to live for Christ, to lay aside your own desires at times in order to do what is right before God. What is the motivation? Is it because you don't want to be seen to be different at church? Is it because you are fearful that if you don't, you're going to be cast into the depths of hell? Um, is, it, is it because you feel as though you have to earn the love of God? What, what is the motivation? And this is what I want us to focus on this morning. And this is the motivation for us to live for Christ. It is because we are his children and the love of God has been lavished on us. Amen? I'm sure that inside you're going, yes, come on, John. Um, but, you know, as we're quite English here this morning, we, we will settle for a little bit less. But listen to this verse. John, this is from, uh, yeah, what is your motivation? I forgot I had that verse. Uh, John 1, 12 to 13, this is from his biography of Jesus, if you like, the Gospel of John. He says this, To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Have you ever heard it said, we are all God's children in the world? We are all God's children. In the light of that verse, is that true? Anyone want to be bold enough to speak out? You can't do that, guy. Well, in, this, in the light of this verse, the, the answer is, no, it's not true. Now, we are all made in God's image. We're all created by God, if that's the, yes, it's true in that sense. But to be, be able to say that I can call myself a child of God in this context, as that he has adopted me as his child, that's not everyone. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the power, the authority to become children of God. Who were born, not because they were born into a particular family or nation, not because of the will of a man or a woman decided to have a child, not, uh, but because of his great love and his grace towards us. That is the will of, uh, the will of God. That's the gospel, isn't it? That it's not because of how good I was or what background or anything like that. God, by his great, his great grace, has gave, given the offering to me and has done something in me that has enabled me to say, yes, I believe you and I want to receive your life into me. And this whole term, this being born again, it, um, many of us will know of the story of Nicodemus um, in uh, John 3, 
He goes to see this um, Nicodemus, is this religious man, goes to see Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, you must be born again. You must be born of Him. You must be born from above if we are to enter into the kingdom of God, um, out of the kingdom of the world. Last week we talked about where John says, do not love the world. He wasn't talking about the people. He's talking about the system of the world. And you see in Ephesians that the system of this world is designed by or led by, influenced by the prince of the power of the air, that which we know of called the devil, Satan. And there are two kingdoms. And we were transferred, Colossians says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And so, and to do that, you must be born again. See, our first birth has physical life, and our second birth, or our new birth, so these are terms you might hear in churches many times, um, is a new spiritual life, a new creation. We sung that earlier. An adoption into God's family. It's that process of becoming his. To all who did receive him, to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And uh, I think this is an important point, especially when you grow up in church like my children have and I have, and maybe others here, is that you grow up in church and church can be your identification of what it means to be a Christian. But the identification is the personal relationship with Jesus, that that what you do with Jesus. And many people, Jesus is understood to be their saviour. And that's only half the step. The other step is that he is their Lord. That is master. That means to receive Jesus is to dethrone yourself from your, the throne of your heart and invite Jesus to sit on it. As I said to one of my children before they, when they were considering getting baptised, I said, baptism when you go in that water, is a sign that every day, you, when there's a choice between your will and God's, it's a choice where you will bow the knee to God's will. Every day. Not just in that one moment. Every day. And that's not, diff- that's not easy sometimes. But as we sung earlier, Corinthians 5 verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Today, now, is radical change. It's not just mentally understanding things. It's a radical life change. For some, it's happened radically in a moment. For others, it's happened gradually over time. But the moment that comes is when there's a new creation. And this, so I want us to think about this because he says this in verse uh, 2, chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. Now we enter into this relationship with God where he is my father. My position in life is determined by the fact that he is my father in heaven. But it is now, it's relevant now, not just when I go to see him, as John was saying earlier. Right now, the fact that God is my father has a bearing on everything in my life. Absolutely everything. 
who I am and whatever situation I'm in, the fact that I'm a child of God, and I don't mean that, that I go into places and almost determine that everyone is under my feet because I'm a child of God. That's completely missing the point. It's my position, and no one should ever do that. If they did, they, they're probably disproving that they are, if you take John's teaching method, if that's the way you're living your life, you're not living the life of Christ. But we have this position of sonship. You know, some of us have got some great earthly parents. My father, my earthly father, is a great guy. Love my dad. He's been a great example to me. Um, he still is. Not <laughs> he has been. He still is. Um, and but and I know that in his heart, it's been, I want you to know God as your father, and I want to be a good dad. And I'm a pretty good dad to my children, aren't I, kids? Yes, dad. Um, I'm glad one of them nodded and the other one is looking at his phone when he knows he shouldn't be. That's the way that... But, and some of us may be there, fathers aren't, but haven't been good examples. But if we've had a good father, that doesn't mean that we can't then have that great father who is God. And for some it might be difficult to understand what it means to have a father like God if we haven't had a good example. But I'm no longer wandering this earth um, in my own resources and abilities and strengths. I'm not trying to get through life. I'm not trying to do good enough in order to be able to be something. Um, that's, I've moved into something that I now have a father who I'm trusting in. I'm enjoying the presence, the relationship with God. I know him. He knows me. It changes my way of looking at life. It changes the, my way of looking at my family, my, my work or my um, finances that we were thinking about earlier, my future, my health. Everything is in that bearing of who, the fact that he is my father. And everyone probably knows the other proverb, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Why can he not look after me? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, God looks after, you know, look at the, the, um, the, what is it, the flowers of the field and look at the birds of the air. The, our Father feeds them. How much more would he feed you? You know, I've entered into that. His protection, his guidance, his strengthening, at times his teaching, his discipline, his challenge, because he's a father. It goes on, and what we will be has not, has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. We are changing, aren't we? Those who are in Christ, those who are children of God, are changing to become like children of God. And none of this is dependent. It doesn't matter what background we come from, what has happened to us or the things we've done. God changes us to make us like Jesus. And if, if that is your hope, and you're walking in that, that means if that is where you're putting your trust and your hope for the future, then you know that you will, every step, there's a purification process. That's what he's saying. We're being changed. So our confidence comes um, in that day to go right back to the beginning. When Jesus returns, um, when he appears, we may have confidence. I already have confidence. That's why when he appears, I will have confidence. I have confidence with him now. I will not lose the confidence when he appears because it is just a continuation. That's the hope of my heart. You know, we have relationship now. So when he appears, we will have relationship then. Yeah? Are you with me? So let's go back to this. Oh, um, 
Sorry, that was the verses that I just read. What is our motivation? We are sons and daughters of the king. We're children of God. How should a child act? A child would act when they're in a loving relationship because they love their father. Do you know you are a child of God? If that is your position in Christ, that is who you are. You, you know, not who you were born, not the sum of your mistakes, not what has happened to you. I know I'm repeating myself, but I think it's worth it. But what Christ has made you to be, going back to that verse in John 1, he gave the right to become children of God. I can enter into the throne room of God and go right up to the throne of God and meet with Jesus, who sits on the throne, and so do you. Or can you, rather. That's my... You know, that is my confidence because God has said boldly we may approach the throne of grace, Paul says in his writing. That means that we have the right to stand in faith in the Father's love no matter what anyone says to us, whether male or, you know, man, woman, uh, demon, angel or whatever, no one can come and say to me, you're not a child of God. I know who I am and it's not on the basis of my ability to do anything. It's on my um, ability, if you like, God-given ability to trust him. And I know that when I believed in God for the salvation of my soul, he made me his child. And therefore my uh, response um, to live my life is because when I'm living my life in God, loving God, he's loving me, it's just wonderful. And so John, that's why John says, when he says, don't love, the, don't love the things of this world, because when you love the things of us, you displace the love of God and you replace it with the love of the world. And when you've done that, if, if you've done that where you've got caught up and compromised and you realize you're loving things that have no satisfaction and then you get, you just, God by his grace moves on you, sense the love of God afresh. And you realize, why did you waste your time? And the father's love for his children far exceeds any love that any human father can give. So when we come into contact with the father's love, I'd love to see some nods on this, if you agree. When we come into the father's love, we don't want to ever go near sin. Yeah? When we're in that presence of God, when we know his love in our lives and his word to our ears and his sense of guidance and his hand upon our lives, we just want to go further into him and away from the things of the world. You know, to sin, to love the things of the world, robs us from that experience, that reality. And I don't know if any of you, like me, you know, when, as, the, as John has encouraged earlier, when you stumble, we have an advocate with the Father, you know, we can ask for forgiveness. And how quickly we realize we've just been hoodwinked by the world for a minute, thinking that the world can actually provide more. And so in that motivation in mind, I'm going to read these next verses, okay? So we're in this wonderful relationship with God. He is our Father. We're children of God. And then he says this in uh, verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. 
So let's bring it back. This love of God, of the Father. I'm standing in the family of God, brothers and sisters together in Christ. You know, this wonderful love and, and protection and uh, joy of God, of knowing him. And <clears throat> there's, it's a world without sin, as it were, in, in the life of God. And then you see someone as well who is continuing to practice sin as a lifestyle, living continually in sin. And then you make this comparison. You say, how can that, that be in this? And you realize it is black and white. You, there is no way to live in sin, in lawlessness, in, a, in disobedience to God, and equally enjoy what it means to be a son of God or a daughter of God, a child of God. This is what John is saying. You just can't do, it just is an impossibility. And that is important there. Makes a practice off means to continue in sin as though it's normal Christian behavior. When you've tasted the love of God, you've known the tender touch of his love, you just can't do it. See, to continue in sin, you have to turn your back on Jesus. 1 John 3, 7 to 10. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He's referring to an earlier passage. So can you see this pattern? Can a child of the Father of God continue in a life of sin in defiance of God, the Father, who they love? No, that's the action of Satan. Defiance, sin is defiance of God, disobedience, going the opposite way, walking the opposite direction. That's why repentance is a turning and walking in the opposite direction. And he's saying no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. It's, it is, uh, when you are born of God, there is a completely different life change. And this is the big thing. He cannot keep on sinning. That's a bold statement. That's why I say for the, for the child of God, the Christian, it is not easy to sin. It is not easy to sin. See, if you're struggling day in, day out in sin, and, I, and, and what I want to recognize is, is that there are stages in life before we really come through into the things of God where we have not yet bowed the knee to God, where we want to be right with God and we're trying we're trying, we're trying on our own energy, our own ability, and we just don't have it. And so we struggle day by day in guilt, sin, and we want there to be truth. We want there to be this reality of God in our lives, but we're just not getting it. And it's hard, and the Christian life is hard. It's too hard. I can't do it. It's because we need to be born again. And I think one of the great obstacles uh, that we have is, <clears throat> is that we won't bow the knee to Jesus. 
It's not that we don't believe that he existed. It's not that we don't believe that he died on the cross for our sin. It's not that we don't believe that he rose from the dead. It's not that we don't believe that um, 40 days later, 500 people saw him ascend up back to heaven. It's not because we don't believe that when the small group of people were praying, God came in such a powerful way and the church was born. It's not because we don't believe that God is still alive today in the church, moving powerfully in people's lives. It's not because we haven't seen miracles and people's lives transformed by the power of God. It's not because of any of that. It's because we haven't said, God, you be the Lord and Master of my heart. Jesus has got to be Lord. And this isn't just about a change of ideas. It's not about a change of actions and traditions. It's a change of heart. I think J.J. John said it best when he said, the problem of humanity, no, the heart of the problem is a problem with the heart. The heart of the problem of this nation is a problem with the heart. Our hearts need to be changed. Going back to John 1, 12 again, all who did receive him, To receive him is to receive him into your life as Lord and Savior. It's to take yourself off the throne of your life and give the sea over to him. You're saying, John, you're repeating yourself. Yes, because that's what Jesus did. Um, And he went on and he said, Who believed in his name to put your faith, your trust, your reliance on not just what Jesus has done to save you when he died on the cross um, and he took it, took your punishment for sin when he rose again, that we too be set for even sin, not just in his works, but in the person of Jesus. So by putting your trust in him, is he becomes, if you like, your representative before God. He is, we've read this um, in, earlier on in this book, he is the one who argues your case, he intercedes for us, he is our hope, he is our everything. That's to believe in his name. It's not just to believe that he existed. Demons believe and tremble, the Bible tells us. And then he goes on, he says, he gave the power and authority, the right to become children of God. And that's my new nature. And that, I suggest, is many here. Um, and it is, and then we go and live in obedience to God. We turn the other direction. That's the word repentance. And we walk in a different direction. That's why when, you, when many people have come and they've responded to God and they haven't made the steps to think differently about their lives, it's become difficult for them to continue in the things of God. So we have to think differently. That's why we do church, isn't it? Get amongst the other believers, those who are going in the same direction, and those who will remind me, I'm a child of God. I have been set free. I am free from sin. I stand before the Father. When we go often back into our old life and we're surrounded by everything of the world that says all the other things, it's not a surprise that we start believing it. See, this is, this, I don't know if this is sounding complicated to you, but this is the simplicity and I'm going to finish now. Ordinary people can be changed not through hard work, but through faith in Jesus by believing in him, putting your hope in him for your lives and then inviting him in into a personal relationship with you. Ordinary people, simple people like me from this corner of London have entrance into the throne room of God who created the universe. That's, it's, it's mind-blowingly simple. You and I so loved, so greatly of the Father that he was willing to send his son to die for me and you, that we may now live a new life now and forever. That's the gospel, isn't it? The good news. And this is the message we want to tell everyone, isn't it? 
It's good enough to tell him, I know we are just a remnant this morning. And when the other half of church come back next week, you can tell them all about it, remind them, isn't it wonderful, this message that we've got? Do you know the Father? Do you know that you are a child of God? What a powerful, and I don't mean that in a worldly sense, I mean that in a sense of, of a, a liberation of love and devotion to God and love to the world and love to what our neighbours. If we all understood that we were children of God in the way in which we've been here this morning. And, um, and, this, and this, I'm going to finish with this. Going right back to the beginning. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence. Amen. Be confident this morning. Um, everyone, there's always an opportunity every time. If you have yet to know and that receiving of Jesus and that life of God, you can receive him this morning by faith. You don't have to do a 12-week course to get there. Amen. Shall we pray? And uh, maybe we could sing. But let's, shall we stand together? Father, I want to thank you for this wonderful gospel, and I want to thank you, Lord, that the motivation of our hearts is not one of trying to please you, not one of trying to be good enough, not one of trying to know enough, Lord, but of one, Lord, that is uh, a child who loves his father, but more than that, who is loved by his father. Lord, when our love fails, you still love us. Lord, we can only really love you because you loved us first. Lord, will you pour out your love upon us, even this morning and in these days, Lord, that we may have confidence of who we are in God. Lord, you are a wonderful Father. Lord, and I want to pray that each one of us here will know you and know that love from the youngest to the oldest, because you are a God who is so wonderful. Lord, you are holy. Lord, we don't treat you lightly, but yet, Lord, you bid us come, Lord, into your throne of grace. Lord, that we may sit at your feet. Lord, that we may enter into this relationship with you, this love relationship, Lord, of acceptance. What a wonderful Father you are. Lord, and we pray, Father, for all the needs in this room and in this church at this time. Lord, on the basis of the fact that we are your children and we ask of our Father, Lord, will you come and meet our needs? In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>